Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Hebrews chapter 4. The page number is there in the bulletin if you are not familiar with where Hebrews is in the Bible or use the table of contents or look over the shoulder of someone around you. Um, or flip through aimlessly until you run across it. Any of that's perfect. Or look on your phone, whatever. I was commenting with some folks the other day. I mean, when I, when I was a kid, it was, you know, we, when I was a kid, the whole thing, one of the things we did in Sunday school was memorize the books of the Bible all in order to know where the, everybody was. And um, I don't know why we did that, because there was always table of contents, but now we've got the phone. So it just click on it, hit Hebrews, hit chapter 4, hit verse 1, good to go. Everybody good? Unless we don't have enough Wi-Fi, and then maybe you can't get there. So, all right. And we're looking at Hebrews. Hebrews is a book that talks about, it's written to a, a group of people that were, that were riddled with the question. They were, they were tired, they were struggling, they were suffering. Hebrews were Hebrew Christians, um, it's the only kind there, there were, basically, in, in right around the time of Christ. It was is they were right around the time, right after Christ, in the in the, in the Jerusalem uh, uh, context. It was expanding into the Gentile communities. But this book, written uh, back to the Hebrew Christian church, um, struggling with the question, uh, this question: If God is so good, and His grace is so great, why is life so hard? If God is so good and His grace is so great, why is life so hard? And that question has been resonating with, with the church, with, with humanity for a long, long time. You know, even before this time and after this time, I ask myself that question all the time regularly. God, if you love me so much, if you're transforming the world so, so completely, if you're at work in my life, it, it just seems so hard. And what do we, how do we keep on keeping on in that struggle? And the writer of Hebrews talks about how to keep on keeping on. And today, um, not, not too far in here, we're only in chapter 4, um, early in, one of the keys to keeping on keeping on, rest. Let's, let's uh, read about it. Hebrews 4, start of verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we, have, for we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was, not, was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter the rest, just as God said, so I declared an oath to, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in it because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. And when a long time, and then a long time later, He spoke through David, as 
was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own labors, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, be with us this morning as we study your word. Lord, we desire to, to understand its truths. We desire to be captivated by who you are and, and by what you've done for us. But those things are not we're not capable of those things. We, I can't, we can't make our hearts do what they need to do, but we know that you can. And that's why we're grateful when your word tells us that it is by your word coming in and dividing our hearts that we change. Do that for our namesake, or for your namesake, and do that for the benefit of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My father um, is eight, my father's 85, um, and, we, and he just got a snowblower last year. I tell you that not because you should be happy that my father got a snowblower, although you should be. I tell you that because he got a snowblower when he was 84. And you should be asking yourself, what did he do prior to 84 when he got the snowblower? He went out there with a shovel, and he shoveled it. He shoveled snow as deep as we've had, 8 and 10 inches. He's shoveling snow into piles, and, I mean, and we're, and he won't not do it. My brother-in-law lives right next door to him. My brother-in-law wanted a snowblower years ago. I think the only reason they got a snowblower is because the two of them decided to get it together. My father loves shoveling snow. My father, well, I grew up in Baltimore City, and, and, uh, and my, I remember my father with my neighbors. They would shovel the street and the sidewalks into piles of snow that were 10 and 15 feet tall, tall enough that we would then, once they once they built those piles, we would then build forts in those, in those piles. And I remember them out till all hours of the night, shoveling snow together, and, they, and he would come in sopping wet with sweat, and he would be exhausted. And, I mean, I just thought my dad at that, my, thought my dad at that point was this heroic man, and I grew up with this snow work ethic. And so when I, you know, so I, and I'm, and I'm as old as I am, and I don't have a snowblower. Well, I guess my father-in-law just gave me one, but I, only because he gave me one. But I have this snow work ethic that when it snows, you get out there, and you, snow, and you, you shovel the snow, and you put your effort into it, and you, you stay out until it's done, and you, who needs a snowblower? Because you, you work at it. Of course, um, 
every time my mother watches my father shovel snow at 80, 81, 82, 83 years old with his, with his shovel, my mother is not, does not think of him through the lens of me as a child, when, that he is this mountainous man who shovels piles of snow and works hard and does this. She, she sees every shovel, every, one, every time he shovels it, her heart skips because she, sa- because she thinks to herself, he's going to kill himself. He's going to kill himself because he just won't rest. Snow's out. I mean, he, and, and my dad's the sort of, my dad's the, the sort of guy, and I don't, I don't know how he. Everybody's got a different snow philosophy. My dad is the guy that says, "I'm gonna snow. I'm gonna shovel it at three inches, consistently three times, rather than one time at nine inches." You see, you see what I'm saying? I'm the, I'm the nine inch guy. Let it snow. I'm sitting by the fire and drinking my cocoa. And then I'll go out when it's all done, and then I'll shovel it. My dad is more, my dad, you know, three times, three inches is easier than one time at nine inches. I don't know how, that's his philosophy. It's not my philosophy. But he, ongoing, just keeps shoveling and keeps going. And, and we've probably, we've had to come to the idea that, if, that my dad is likely going to die shoveling snow. But he will die shoveling snow with a smile on his face. He just won't quit. He just won't rest. And my dad is no different than many of you or, or of me. That There's some sort of snow shoveling that you're doing in your own life, pile of snow that you're making, working hard until all hours of the night, and you just won't stop. And you come in, in your, metaphorically, and you are sweating through your clothes. And you are exhausted, and your muscles are beyond, beyond extended. And everybody around you is trying to tell you to rest. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to everyone, telling you and me, that if you're going to keep on keeping on, you're only going to be able to keep on keeping on if you rest. Now, here's the thing. That makes a whole lot of sense. How do I keep going if I'm tired? How do I keep going if it's hard? How do I keep going? I just keep going. It just seems like we just keep going. It's like I'm on a treadmill. How do I keep going on a treadmill? Get off. Rest. That makes perfect sense. And so you go, great. Shouldn't it be easy to rest? Rest is easy, right? Rest is... Rest is just stop. I go to my dad, I just stop. Well, I'll stop in a minute. Just just want to get to the end of the street. Just want to do one more shot on the driveway. Rest should be easy, right? It's It's a simple process. It's just don't do the thing you're doing. Sit down. Take a minute. Right? No, rest isn't easy. Rest is hard. And that's, the writer of Hebrews makes that very clear because in verse 11, let us therefore make every effort. Effort. It's going to take, if you're going to rest, more than likely it's going to feel like effort. Why? Why? Rest is not supposed to feel like effort, right? Isn't rest rest? Rest is easy. Rest is, re- there's no effort in rest. 
No, 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 no. Rest takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Why? Why is rest so hard? Why is rest so hard? Well, rest is so hard is because you're broken. And rest is, two reasons rest is hard is because you're broken and because the culture's broken. The reason that rest is hard is because you're broken. What I mean by that is that ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since the Garden of Eden, life got hard from that moment forward because now I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not capable of simply resting. I'm not capable of simply surrendering. Now I've got and, and, and since the Garden of Eden, since the, since the, the fall, since the, you know, Adam and Eve broke creation and you and I in them broke creation, ever since then, now I have two jobs. Before Adam and Eve broke things, before the fall, there was only one job, one basic job, and the job, the job came in two parts, you know, um, manage the garden, and fill the earth, right? Just, just one job, two parts. Manage the garden, take dominion of the garden, manage it, and then fill the earth, okay? Meaning, have kids. And then go, let, it, let it expand. Expand the kingdom with humanity, right? So, so you know, pretty, two pretty great jobs, right? Two, two, one job, two parts, Manage the garden I've given you. Manage the earth. Manage the world. And then fill it with kids and people and, and cultures and, and have at it and go at it. That was the one job in two parts. After the fall, now we've got two jobs. We've got the job, which is still to manage the world and fill the earth, and we're still doing that. But now the other job, because I'm broken, now the job is the other job is the job under the job, which is i got to fix the brokenness. How do I feel about it? How do I feel about filling the earth? How do I feel about m managing the world? Uh, what do people think of me while I'm doing that? I, don't, I feel a little uneasy about this whole thing. How do I overcome my uneasiness? How much do I have to do today? How much do I not have to do today? How much more? Now, and the broken, and so before the fall also, before the fall, um, God said, everything's going to work in your favor. You put effort in, you get effort out. You put all, everything you do will have benefit. It'll, everything will give fruit, will bear fruit. Everything you do will now bear fruit. This is prior to the fall. Everything's working in your favor. You got one job, two parts, manage the garden, expand culture, and expand humanity all over the world. And now after the fall, now God says, now, now the world, because you broke it, it's not going to operate that way anymore. It, 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 you broke it in such a way that now you put in effort, it's not going to give back effort. As a matter of fact, you put in effort, it's going to give back destruction. So now the job that you have is doubled, is tripled. Now you've got more than just the job. You've got to now deal with the whole corruption and brokenness of the system. And so now the job is multiplied. You, you don't have that one job. Now I've got the job under the job. Now I've got to fix all the destruction. How am I going to fix the destruction? How am I going to overcome the, the treadmill? How am I going to feel about all that? What, and now you've got a broken psychology. And now I'm wondering, what are you thinking while I'm doing all these things? And what am I thinking? And I feel like a failure. And how am I doing too much? The, 
the reason, the reason that you can't rest is because of the job under the job. The work under the work is killing you. You're trying to fix the broken system. You're trying to fix the brokenness of your heart. You're trying to fix your broken psychology. You're trying to live up under the strain and stress of what others are thinking of you. And it, it, you know, one, one author puts it like this, is that you can do, we work, we work out of two different motivations. We work to prove who we are, or we work because we know who we are. I'll say that again. We work to prove who we are, or we work because we know who we are. The first one is to work under the work because of our brokenness. The reason I do what I do, the reason in my broken system, the reason I'm managing the world, filling the earth, the reason I'm doing the thing that God's called me to do or doing the thing that I have gifts and abilities to do in this world, in great measure, that work is, there's nothing wrong with whatever you're doing. There's nothing wrong with what you're occupying, with how you're occupying your time. The problem is, why are you doing it? What is, your, what is the motivational structure behind it? And if you are doing it in order to prove who you are or to discover who you are, it will kill you. It will, it will fatigue you. It will destroy you. And you will keep going at it. You will keep eating it like it's sugar, the, the addictive power. You will keep trying to satisfy your soul because you are trying to prove who you are again and again and discover who am I? How does this manage? Where's my identity? How do I find myself? And it will kill you. But it's a treadmill. It's a treadmill of performance. And just like on any stress test, it starts out at a slow walk. But the longer you're on the treadmill of performance, the longer you are on this uh, uh, treadmill of proving yourself to yourself, proving yourself to the people around you, proving yourself to the cosmos, that treadmill gets faster and faster and the incline gets steeper and steeper. Rest comes, not that we stop doing things. You can't stop doing everything. God told us in the garden, didn't he? Did he leave us without a job? No. One job, two parts, right? What was it? Manage the garden, fill it. So we still had something to do, even in perfection, even when, he, even when there was no brokenness, even when there was no need, even though, when there was no need to, to, as it were, do anything. God said, here, I'm giving you, I'm giving you a job to do uh, in perfection. And in that, the reason they were able to do that job without fear, without a sense of fatigue, was because they were doing that job in the garden because they knew who they were. They, weren't, they didn't have to prove who they were to themselves, to God, to each other. They knew who they were. They were God's children. They walked with him in the cool of the day. There was, no, there was no, I don't have to prove anything about this. I'm just doing my job. And when you live in that moment, when you live in that place, 
where you operate out of an identity you already have from an outside source, and we're not trying to find an identity. We're not trying to find a sense of fulfillment, a sense of, a sense of completion, a sense of restoration from the things that I'm doing. I'm not drawing out of the thing that I'm doing some sort of life. When I cease from trying to draw out of the things that I do, the career that I have, the programs that I operate, the decisions that I make, when I'm not trying to draw out of them life for myself, but rather live and work and love and serve and make decisions and operate and and do the effective things in in the world that I'm called to do, when I'm doing those things out of an identity that I have, a surety, a sense of a sense of I know who I am. You know, and when you know who you are, and now I begin, now I'm loading into my career, I'm loading into my relationships, I'm loading into my love and my service and my and my obedience. I'm loading into those things, not in order to get, but in order to provide. Only then is there rest. Only then will you ever feel as though you've, you've, it's only then is it not a destructive process. There's a movie years ago, it's so old anymore, uh, called Chariots of Fire. And it's, and it, uh, it's a fictionalized account of, of the Olympics, I think of 1920-something maybe, and tells the story of two sprinters, one both from both from Europe, one was Irish, I think, and one was one was British. Um, Eric Little was the Irishman, and uh, Abrams uh, was the was the Brit. And uh, they were taught they were they were uh, fictionalized narrative about each one's approach to running. Both uh, both I think were legitimate characters, but they uh, his, uh, in history. Eric Little was a was a Christian missionary, and uh, and but yet uh, an Olympic runner, and um, Abrams I forget his other you know what name um, was a was a Brit, and both were in this. It depicts out of which both of them run, depicting the reasons why they tried to be as fast as they could be for their nation and for the world, and in an interview. Abrams said of his running, he says, when that gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify myself. Eric Little, when responded to an interview, said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. One man runs to provide a sense of life to himself, a a sense of justification for his existence. The other man runs because he knows he's fast and he's God's creature. And when he runs, he's displaying the beauty of God and he enjoys his pleasure. Those two depictions are what we're talking about here. One is work. One is rest, but both are exerting the same amount of, well, not really. When you watched the two men, they competed in the same races. They both outwardly look like they're doing the same thing. 
And physically, both of them are exerting the same kind of energy around the track. But one man is working hard. The other man is resting. And that becomes a life-giving experience. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, which man do you want to be? And what the power of the gospel allows you, what the power of the gospel, what, what Jesus is offering at the cross is an identity out of which you can live and love and feel God's freedom and feel God's pleasure. The reason that the cross provides God's pleasure, the, re what, what, the reason that I can feel God's pleasure as a, as a result of the cross is because at the cross, he is telling his children, I forgive you. At the cross, he's telling his children, it's not your fault anymore. At the cross, he's telling his children, I have redeemed you. I have cleansed you. I have made you mine. You were once afar off. You were once an orphan. You were once, you had no one. But now you have me and I am yours and I have cleansed you and made you perfect. You have nothing more to do for yourself. As a matter of fact, Jesus could not have been clearer. His last words on this earth said, what? It's done. It's finished. I've done it. I've finished the work. What work? What work did he finish? What was the work? Did he finish all the work? Did he finish the job from the beginning? The, the job from the beginning, what was it? Job in two parts. Manage the world, fill the earth. Did he finish that job? No, he didn't finish that job because that's the job he wanted us to do. What was the job he was finishing? The job under the job. The job that we created in the mess, in the brokenness, the job that we created, the treadmill we put ourselves on of performance in order to get God's pleasure, to feel fulfilled, to have a sense of identity, a sense of I've done something with my life, I, a job, the job of justifying myself by the things that I do. Jesus says, I finished that job. Sit down. Now just go do I finished, this is where, you know, uh, uh, John Miller, Jack Miller wrote this. The gospel produces rest. Restlessness is always a sign of unbelief. Knowing the love of God sets you free to work hard with a peaceful, restful heart. The job under the job. She just says, that job's finished. The reason it's so hard the reason that rest is so hard is because you and I are trying to finish a job that's already been done. If you're in Christ, if you know Jesus, and, and, the, and those who don't know Jesus that are exploring Jesus, part of why the gospel seems so unattainable, un, and, Jesus, and what he's saying is the reason that the people died in the desert, the, the reason that the people, the, the culture, this is not an easy, this is not something that comes natural to the human heart. The idea of resting from my inner labor, my psychological need for identity, for my psychological need to feel a sense of satisfaction about myself. It is so foreign to the culture that the culture hears it. It says, the, 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 it says the gospel was preached to them just as it was preached to us, but the message they heard, this is in verse this is in verse uh, 2, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they who heard it did not combine it with faith. They didn't trust in that message. They heard it, trust in Jesus, 
He's finished the work. Rest from your inner labors of identity finding. They heard it, but they didn't trust it. It doesn't come natural to the human heart to surrender my need to find satisfaction from the things that I do and the things that you do and from the relationships that you have. You, and if, but if you keep on doing it, you will go on being tired and you will go on not making it and you will go on feeling the treadmill of performance and you will go on killing yourself. Just as they said, just as it was said of them, they did not enter that rest. And God is kind of saying in this passage, and what, what David and what, what, what Joshua have been saying to them is, God's been preaching this until he's blue in the face. Rest in me. I'm doing the rest. I'm doing the work. Let me finish this. Trust me, trust me. Put your faith in what I'm doing and then just, f and find your identity in that and then just go live and love and serve and explore and, and build. When it's one way, when, it's, when, you're when you're operating out of your own identity, not trying to find an identity from the things that you do. When you live out of knowing who you are rather than trying to find who you are. Jesus says, it's finished. Trust that. Trust in that. Trust is so hard because we're such control people. I want to contribute to fixing me. I want to contribute to the damage I caused. When someone fixes, a, when someone fixes damage I caused, I feel really... Ugh. Does that ever yeah, happen to you? Someone pays a debt that you owed. Someone said, you know, you break someone's lamp and they go, oh, it's not a problem. I'll take care of it. You know, don't you want to load in? Don't you want to be a part of the solution? Don't you want to fix the thing that you broke? Don't you want to pay back the money that you owed? Don't you want to, yeah, and when you don't, when you, get it, when you get it wiped away without any effort, you feel a little awkward? Yeah, that's, that's this whole principle. This is the whole thing. You want to work at it. You want to take responsibility for it. You want to earn it. And Jesus says, no, I'll earn it for you. I'll do all the work. The work under the work. The work under the work. And once the work under the work is taken care of, once the identity, once you, once you, are, once you discover that God, that you, are, that you by faith, in that work, become the child of God and that you can feel his pleasure simply by resting in him, then you become a powerful being. Then you become a powerful agent of change in this world. You know why? If I'm, if I'm doing things because I know who I am, not because I'm trying to find out who I am by what you think of me or by what the world thinks of me or by what impact I can have, when I'm operating out of the fact that I know who I, who I am, I'm a child of God, who he has made his son, in whom he has great pleasure and favor, and that when I live in that, I feel his pleasure. You and I become powerful beings because I don't care what you think. I don't care what the culture thinks. I don't care if I fail. I don't care who knows if I failed. I don't care if you see who I really am because it doesn't matter 
What matters isn't even what I think of me. What matters is what he thinks of me. And he's already told me what he thinks of me, and he declared it with a finish and said, I finish this work, and I declare that you are my son, and you can call me dad. And when you live out of that, the things that you could do, the risks that you could take, the boldness that you could exhibit, the friendships that you could explore, the work that you could accomplish, the work that you could accomplish by not doing the work under the work. Many of you and me were afraid to do the work because we're afraid of the identity problems we're going to have if I step into it. When Jesus says, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You You don't need to figure out who you are. I told you who you are. If you trust in me, if you come to me through the cross, if you, if you, if you declare Jesus as yours and you, and, you, and you disparage of your own efforts, you are my children in whom I've placed great favor and pleasure. Go play. Go live and love and work and change. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you finished the hard work, the work that's, that's keeping us from resting. Physical labor not, is neither here nor there. Activity, obedience, diligence, not a problem. Finding an identity, finding a sense of hope, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of self from the things that we do is the thing that's a work we can't accomplish. Lord, do your work in us and, and convince us of it. And as we rest in that work, Lord, we ultimately, ultimately become able to enter the rest that is eternal, the rest that will never end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.